Welcome back to Sound Up Governance. I'm Matt Fulbrook, and as much as we all like to imagine that we're one of a kind, it turns out there's someone who's basically 99% the same as me when it comes to corporate governance stuff. His name is Paul Smith, and he calls himself a boardroom futurist. Not coincidentally, he's also the founder of the Future Directors Institute, the purpose of which is, quote, to create generations of board directors fit for their future and the world's. In other words, like me, Paul wants to start a movement. The thing is, even though Paul and I have spent loads of virtual time together over the years, we'd never met face-to-face until December 2022. You see, he's based in Australia and I'm in Toronto, so we took advantage of the fact that we were finally in the same place at the same time and settled into my office slash man cave for some scotch and a long chat. This will be another two-parter with episode one starting now. Oh, and I should say that this conversation was completely extemporaneous and not entirely fact-checked, so although I can confidently say you'll learn something, you're also listening to two excited day-drinking dudes, so use your judgment. Okay. So... Are we just going to talk? Yeah, I had a conversation this week with my good buddy Kev. Yeah. Who's just become the chair of the Ontario Securities Commission. And the whole point, and he ran the Toronto Stock Exchange. The whole point, not the whole point, I'm being an asshole. Um, an you're, important, usually, you're usually obnoxious. Is yeah, that that's true. I, I, yes, I am obnoxious. <laughs> I'm, I was being a bit of a jerk. To So part of the function of the stock exchange and the securities commission when it comes to governance is rules. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The way Kev put it, which I really liked when, when it comes to the stock exchanges, especially is, well, I'm not used, uh, I'm using my words instead of his, we're basically a store. And so we've got to be responsible for the quality of our product. Cool. So I expected him to be really kind of all in on the idea of or the equivalency or close to it of governance and compliance and he's like those aren't the same at all and i said okay well that's really good i mean he's he's my he's so my you homie. sparked up a little bit yeah yeah okay. and so i said i was like okay so i shared my definition of good governance and his response was something along the lines of and i'll go back and listen to the tape something along the lines of doesn't everybody think that? Think it's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, dude. <laughs> you know. So I'm talking here about part of my conversation with Kev Cowan, which was covered in episodes 14 and 17 of Sound Up Governance. Why are Paul and I laughing? It's not at Kev, of course. In fact, Paul and Kev and I are all in complete agreement. It's just Kev's surprise that other people have a different view of good governance than ours. In our respective travels, Paul and I, we've had the same experience that most people think completely differently than us. I wonder, and I know you don't spend a lot of time thinking about this, and neither do I, but I wonder if we can talk through it for a second. What even conceivably, what role could the institutions play in actually helping with real good governance? Mm, that's a really good question. Busy to say that <clears throat> their focus their focus is really on rule setting. And the rules often are really vague and bland. 
Um, or I really think, specific and bland. Oh, you're really specific and bland. <laughs> That's right. It's a, there's no middle ground. It's just one of the two. I got, it's the same with the Corporations Act in Australia, similar here. It's like, sure. do what is, you know, essentially do what is right without defining what is right and wrong. Um, you know, I always distill it down to don't fuck up. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I think standards setting. So instead of rules, which seems to be protecting the downside, I think standards in terms of upping everybody is the way to do it. Um, but again, it comes down to anything else. You know, how do you create standards when there's no universal agreement around what that standard needs to be? Is it standards of behavior? Mm. Is it ethical standards? I think this is really important. I think, you know, and I know you've got the stock exchange would have, which is really their rules around listing mm-hmm. and, you know, the sort of more structural rules. And then you have the Securities Commission, you know, which is in Australia, it's called ASIC. Um, the equivalent is the Australian Securities and Investments something. I can't remember. Council off the top of my head. Off, a head, off the top of my head. <clears throat> Everybody just calls it ASIC. And that's really about much winding corporate rules, not just listing rules. So it's, it includes every company set up, whether it's a charitable company or a private company or a listed company. Um, so I think what we need to see more of is groups coming out with really high standards um, of governance, of behavior, of board directors, rather than just rules. And I feel like you might think they're the same thing, but they're, they're subtly different. Mm-hmm. And then if you saw the ISO have come out with some new... corporate governance standards Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot of focus on purpose and values Mm -hmm. uh, which is really encouraging to see Mm -hmm. the ISO are getting involved in everything at the moment you know they're putting out standards left right and centre for new things but what's really interesting is that they seem to be focused more they're like beyond Europe, ISO doesn't really get looking a lot of time maybe right. in a, into Asia, yeah, but yeah. North America tends to ignore ISO stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that would be the starting point for me. Okay. It's just changing uh, and, and reviewing like acts as well. You know, I think a lot of these corporations acts is just way out of date. Right. No, that's true. Okay, so let's let's try to... Is that where you meant me to go? Or yes, no, totally. Else? Let me see if we can... Just spontaneously come up with something. So, if there were going to be a standard that we would want, because the idea here is there's something that everyone is supposed to do, right? So, we're coming up with a not a one size fits all necessarily, but we're coming up with something that applies to everyone and and is re- related to governance. So, I think for me, um, these are, and again, this is where it gets tricky, right? So we're talking about moral, ethical standards of behavior. Um, going back to the stakeholder stuff we were talking about off uh-huh. off beforehand, and maybe we should just bring that up again, is the exercise you do with people where you ask them to rank you know, these 10 stakeholder this groups. This is the to, to whom do you owe a duty exercise that everyone who knows me knows? <laughs> Because I'm obsessed with it. But if I'm, if this is going through my audience, which it will be, no one knows. So Matt, I might ask you to quickly sure. uh, review that. Uh, really briefly, I craft a list of 10 stakeholders. It might be generic if it's for a generic audience. It might be somewhat more specific if it's for uh, an organization. And ideally, inside an organization, we've got 
Board members and senior executives together put them in blended groups. They take this list of 10 stakeholders, some of which are internal, like employees and senior management and the board, some of which are one circle outside of that, like shareholders and strategic partners and customers, that kind of thing. And some of which are way outside, like the environment. And I always put myself there as a director too. And I ask them to go in their groups. They get 15 minutes to come to an agreement on the ranking of those stakeholders based on to whom as a director you owe the greatest duty goes at the top and to whom as a director you owe the least duty is at the bottom. And I give no further instruction than that. Yeah. You're not allowed to have any equal places. Oh, I'm losing my mic. Here, I can fix it. I've got to do it without losing my scotch. It's good scotch as well. So you don't want to lose it. There we go. We're back. Um, yeah, really tough exercise and no equals. And it has to be. Oh, right. Yeah. It used to be that I would get people coming back with ties. And I just, I've outlawed that. Um, ties means you're cheating. So if you've got, and we won't dwell on too much, you've got shareholders. Let's assume we're looking at privately owned business or publicly comp- listed companies. They've got owners or shareholders. You've got staff. You've got, um, what other ones would you have? Regulators, mm-hmm. society, environment, mm-hmm. um, customers. I don't usually clients. say society. I'll say something more like community, community. so it's tangible yeah. to them. Yeah. Okay. So and they can define it however they like. Customers or clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, really hard to define that. But you're saying that invariably they they put shareholders at the top. Usually the duty of the board. Yeah, they'll say so. If there's shareholders or equivalent, it might be yeah. members, for example. Yeah. Uh, shareholders goes one or two and the organization on whose board you're sitting goes the other one of one or two in most cases it's really interesting that as a stakeholder you put the organization as a stakeholder which is fascinating Do you know where that comes get, from i can tell you exactly where it comes yeah. from there's so people like me so people who educate boards and directors have taken the bizarre nature of the canadian statute around the duties of directors and because it's bizarre and because it basically tells you you have a duty to everybody and there's no rule telling you how to prioritize them, that's been digested by lawyers into something that that they believe directors can understand, which is the, the expression, as a director, your primary fiduciary duty is to the corporation. Yeah. That's been articulated everywhere, for, especially in Canada. And whenever I hear it, and I'm not trying to be too much of a jerk, although I am trying to be a little bit of a jerk, whenever I hear it, I say, cool, what does that mean? It's all those stakeholders we're talking about. Well, we know that. Yeah. But when you've been told you have a primary fiduciary duty to the corporation without context, how would you, if if someone came to you and said, what does that mean? What would you say? Okay, so it's really hard for me to answer that in the context of what would I say versus what I yeah, know. Yeah, you're right. What I say, I'll tell what you what I know. most people say, just yeah. so, because it, it, it'll, and this is what I would say if I didn't have context either. You say, well, clearly I have a duty to protect the long-term success of the corporation. Yeah, usually it's called uh, looking after the company in perpetuity. Right. Yeah, decisions made. Which we both know isn't the job of a board. No, should be. Okay, I'm going to challenge you on that. Can you imagine a set of circumstances, simple or complex, where the right decision would be to kill the company? <laughs> Let's bring Elon Musk into this conversation. Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, yes. Same. Charities. Great Their entire example. job is to, their entire 
mission statement really beyond what they're trying to do is to plan their own obsolescence. Or it should be. Yeah, it should be. Is it? No. Uh, that's a right. whole, we could go down that rabbit a hole. A computer in every classroom, curing cancer, whatever it is. Yeah, once it's done. done. Yeah. Move on to the next problem. Yeah, okay, that's why maybe. visions are great. Right? It lets us know when we did it. It's always been my thing is like, what's the number overriding mission statement of every single charitable group is to basically go out of business, mm. but from a positive perspective, not a negative perspective. Right. So we can imagine, and that's a really good example, but we could imagine any number of ways that it could be reasonable for a board to say, you know what, we're done. Now's mm. the time. And I think that that's one piece where we've trained it out of boards to imagine the counterfactual to the existing perpetuity thing. I've started to try to argue that it, that survival isn't the same as good governance. No. Right? No. That's a good point. It's a really good point. And I don't I'm not saying that I, you know, this is I've cracked some code or something, but I do think that we that all these expressions, maybe here's my point. Expressions like noses in, fingers out, or like we have a primary fiduciary duty to the corporation, or whatever it is, these oversimplifying expressions are actually working against their own purpose. Yeah. I see board directors in boardrooms all the time weaponizing these phrases so that it closes down conversation and so it stops it. them having to actually fulfill their fiduciary duty right. by saying, you know, oh, but it's noses in, fingers out. I, I actually. So I've just come from this Capacity Canada thing, uh, which is amazing. And I, I, you know, uh, excuse my language, shat all over noses in, fingers out. Mm-hmm. Not it itself, because in itself, it's nothing wrong with it, but it's so one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. It basically just completely closes off the opportunity. So I, I like the phrase zoom in and zoom out as necessary. You know, so right. it, because it completely changes the dynamic because you might have an early stage board that needs to be a bit more zoomed in, a bit more operational, but then you've got a really mature, I don't mean old, I just mean mature yeah. and sophisticated group that might have that that really clear boundary and defining boundary where, yes, it is nose in, fingers out, but even that in itself, it just seems a bit archaic these days. It, it right. Everything should be fit for purpose, you know. Um, so again, it's just, it, 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 it narrows the scope of a board. I don't know where we got where we were going, but we were going back to um, corporations act and stuff. And we okay. And I got you to do the stakeholder mapping exercise. And I'm uh, like, where we were going with that? Because uh, we were originally talking about the role of institutions, and you were talking about setting standards. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And what standards we want to do. So I want to go back to something else you mentioned, which was, um, and it's probably very similar in, in Australia and most places around the world. There was a, a, a legal case mm. which defined. Um, how boards needed to act. Mm-hmm. We've got two famous ones here. Well, one much more famous than the other. I went on here to not entirely accurately describe the people's VYs and BCE versus 1976 debenture holders cases that both influenced the current legal duties of directors in Canada. In the wake of those cases, the Canada Business Corporations Act says that, quote, When acting with a view to the best interests of the corporation, the directors and officers of the corporation may consider but are not limited to the following factors. A. The interests of shareholders, employees, retirees and pensioners, creditors, consumers and governments. B. The environment. And C. The long-term interests of the corporation. Which brings us to the substance of this part of my discussion with Paul, which was... 
And ultimately what they did about it was they didn't say, okay, you owe a duty to shareholders and debt holders because that would have been obnoxious. But they said you have a duty to consider the interests of anyone who stands to be affected by corporate actions. And yet, so this is in, that's a, that's legal precedent now. And yet that's not followed through. Well, how, how can you, when? So the moment that a person becomes a director, and this applies to any incorporated entity in Canada, right? It's not just ones that have debt holders or shareholders. And when you become a director, you get a manual, maybe, and maybe a little bit of training and, the training basically tells you your job is that you owe duty to the corporation mm-hmm. without defining the corporation. Without defining duty or corporation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then they don't actually explain to you, even if they did explain that, they don't say this is what it means to do the job well. Welcome to our world. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like I, I, I empathize. Totally. And I wonder, and I, I actually, I won't name names because the, it's, it, yeah, it would cause a stir in the, the closely knit Canadian governance community. But I remember when I was first approaching boards and saying, what's the point of a board? Right. And I, this, I don't do this as much anymore, but I would, I would do a little like word cloud exercise where you get people like, tell me what yeah, you think yeah. the point of a board is. Yeah. And this person, I, I, I said this to said you can't do that in boardrooms. I said I can't. What? Okay. What? What am I doing wrong? And they said they already know that it's it's patronizing. And I was just like, I mean, my experience so far has been that they don't know it, and it's not that they can't know it. It's that they've never been prompted to wonder about it, right? And who would prompt them? It might be the phrasing, what's the point of a board? Because it comes across of, you know, does it right. have a point? And I don't remember that no, I use those I exact I don't words. use that words. Like when we do our training, we, you know, we do the whole sort of crowdsourcing, what does a board do? Or like words associated with the board and people come out with accountability, governance, strategy, risk, you know, old white men often comes mm-hmm. out. Like what words do you associate mm-hmm. with the boardroom? Um, it's similar sort of exercise, right? And you do it with... And this is the interesting thing. You do it with a whole bunch of board members or aspiring board directors, and you you come out invariably with a whole bunch of the similar words. But what I find really interesting is the word governance sits in there as a word, like it's a, like it's a, its own little category mm-hmm. amongst all the other things, as opposed to really what do they do? They govern, and then yeah. they, and everything else within that is part of that. I do this exact exercise you're describing. I still do this because I'm obsessed with definitions now. I do that with the the term corporate governance. And I did it today. I do it every day, almost every day. And today, one of the words that came up is this is the question is what in one word like in what word what what are you thinking about when you think about corporate governance? And someone put governor. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Okay, let's open our minds a little bit here. Uh, can, can we expand by one circle? from? Um, but then, to be fair, I don't know about you, for me, if you had asked me, up until five, six years ago, if you'd asked me, what's corporate governance, despite the fact that that was my area of study and expertise and celebrity to a certain extent, I would have basically said, well, corporate governance is the way that corporations are governed. 
it wasn't until I spent time figuring out what I thought it meant and trying to articulate it in a sentence. Up until then, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. Well, if you do, if we break that one down, corporate governance is how corporate corporations are governed. All it does is just yeah, break, right. It's break that two words into a it's larger just, sentence and say nothing at all. It's stupid. No, it's like it's self-referential <laughs> bullshit. The the it's like only the book you mentioned earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to go there. We won't no, go we, there. Won't go, we won't no, go there right now. I don't think some people. <laughs> no, no, so I'm, that's going to be out. Uh, so there's, uh, we're talking about, uh, I, on one of my podcasts, Sound Up Governance, uh, well, there's an ep- episode coming up where I'm doing like a reaction style thing to corporate governance material that's out there. And it's all so bad. It's partly because writing is hard. So I don't want to be too hard on people. But the fact is, the most celebrated thinkers in this space, their definitions of corporate governance are awful. Their definitions of good governance are worse. And that's the material that's out there. If you go to Amazon and say corporate governance book, that's what you're getting. Well, if you can decipher their words in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I a think system when you read them to me, was, yeah, that, it's, it reminds me of um, someone describing to me the Australian Association of Associations. And I wonder how far can you go down that list? There's an association of associations, associations. And then someone's described me, describing me the, the, the strategic planning society of societies. Oh, you know, there's no. all these wonderful, again, these wonderful little, these groups, but it's, that's what they were doing. It was like, there was a system within a system with system, but it wasn't, it was just, again, I prefer writing, especially business writing like that, corporate writing, which is in plain language. But I think a lot of these people are ex-lawyers and they don't know how to write like that. It's partly that. And they also want to sound really clever. It's partly that. And they probably are really clever. It's all, that's maybe mostly that. (laughs) The, the other piece is that there's, so let's take corporate governance as a field of inquiry. Science. I actually came across a paper. This is one of the ones I'm going to refer to because the one, this, the, it was, I called it the palate cleanser. It was actually great <laughs> because these, these researchers from a few different universities, this is a brand new paper, 2022. It was a synthesis or an attempted synthesis of corporate governance science over the years. They analyzed 511 papers and they decided that I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not, not a lot. They decided that they, ca- they could come up with nothing because there was insufficient consistency of definition <laughs> and bad methodology. And so if we, that's them synthesizing the entire history of corporate governance study. Is basically saying there's nothing there. Yeah, that sounds fair. I think part of the problem, and here's why I like my the the world of my definitions, is that if we if we stop trying to look for a connection between specific structures or policies or practices or disclosure or whatever and financial performance, because those none of those things are actually going to link to each other, even the ones that the, the data suggests might link causally. If you take 10 steps back and say, okay, but how could those things be causally linked in the real world? Forget what the data says. How could it be that those two things are causally linked? It doesn't, it doesn't occur to the scientists to wonder that. Partly because we're trying to make connections between two things that are too far apart. Yeah. We're trying to connect things from boardroom to financial performance is too far. It's too much noise in between. So if we take it out of the world of looking for corporate governance ephemera that causes good performance, if we instead say, well, what if corporate governance is 
making decisions and good governance is good conditions for making decisions. There's a lot of really good science about that. Very deeply experimentally driven and also even better, well translated by smart people into stuff that anyone can read and understand and be inspired by. So that to me is a win. <laughs> even if I'm wrong, at least we're talking about something that you can understand. Yeah. And easy to find and easy to measure. Yeah. And I think that's some of the conversations I've been having this week, uh, whilst in Canada have been about measuring the effective, you know, if we talk about good governance as being, you know, good stewardship, effective decision-making, and then creating the conditions for all of that, which you and I wholeheartedly agree on, um, unsurprisingly, um, how do you measure that? That's some of the conversations I've been having. How do you measure the effectiveness of an individual director? How do you measure the effectiveness of the board? How do you create the causal links between... Uh, we've asked it, uh, we've had this discussion beforehand as well, I think. I can't remember if we've, we actually came to an agreement. But yeah. How do you create the causal links between really good governance and performance and of an organization? Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. You have to define the performance of an organization. Again, if we're going back to the, the acts that says, you know, you have to make decisions in the best interest of the company... And again, you might add in perpetuity or long term. Is that financial sustainability? Is it the health of the workforce? And that's all change. But if we just take it as the financial yeah. su success, um, which again, how do you define financial success? They're still around or they're making huge profits or the owners are getting huge returns. And that's the thing. You can go down these little nth degree rabbit holes of defining, defining, defining. And that's why it's really hard. To I don't know that I like this idea of trying to connect governance and performance. If governance is defined as, or if good governance is about intentionally creating the conditions. And the reason why, in my first iteration of my definition, I was I, I put effective before decisions instead of effective before conditions. So now it's yeah. intentionally creating effective conditions for making decisions. It used to be intentionally creating conditions, conditions for, for effective, effective decisions. decisions. And because decisions are just decisions. Yeah, we don't know. You can't know what the result is going to be. No, it's too much ambiguity, right? You can't know. If no. you knew, there would be no decision to be made. Well, if we knew as well, there would be no point in the board. Right, right. So... It's, you need one person. We can control the process. We can control the conditions. We can't control the result. We can control how we react to the result. But I would argue that good governance can lead to killing the corporation by accident. It's possible. The same way that bad governance can lead to excellent financial performance. So why do we worry about it so much? Uh, so is it, is it an a law of averages here that, you know, good governance tends to be associated without good outcomes, even no. though you can have the extremes where bad governance can have lead to good outcomes, or is it a case of the influence of the board isn't as much as we like to think it is? I think let's, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that. I don't have a perfect answer. I'm going to react to two parts of it. One is it's not just about the result. So let's just re let's acknowledge at least, or try to acknowledge that, the thing that we're not only controlling for success, we're controlling for trying to create effective conditions, right? So that's one piece. The other piece is anyone can accidentally have make the right choice, right? And so that's why bad governance can sometimes lead to good decisions. 
It's, but wouldn't we rather make a good decision through optimized conditions instead of a good decision by accident? And that's it, isn't it? That's, yeah. It comes down to the probability of it working out. And we can never know what the counterfactual would be. We, we went well, you down can't path. have a control experiment, can you? Yeah. So exactly, you can't have a shadow board and you have two companies, you know, that suddenly we're getting into sort of multiverse yeah. sort of situations. Exactly. We're, we might look at it and say, well, that decision killed the company. You should have gone down path B. And we don't know. Path B might have killed us faster. Yeah. So effectively, what we might be saying is there's almost no point in trying to measure anything I, like that. I think we want so the execution is is separate from governance right execution involves making decisions the decision part of execution i i still argue is governance but getting stuff done is different right and that's so the, there is a difference in my mind between governance and management but governance and management are done by almost everybody right if one part is doing stuff one part is making decisions the other part is doing stuff Right? So doing stuff well still matters. Well, making decisions is still doing stuff. Right, okay, you're right. It's a different level of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. so I don't know split hairs. You're right. Uh, But we still need people to do stuff well. Yes. Yeah. You know, the thing... Yeah. Can I just pause for a second? Sure. Need to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me, everyone. No sweat. (laughs) And with that, restroom break, we'll pause until next time when we'll return with Paul Smith for a continuation of... Two excited day drinking dudes talking about corporate governance. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Sound Up Governance. If you have any questions or complaints or ideas for future guests or episodes, please send an email or voice memo to soundup at groundupgovernance.com. See you next time.